Today we're going to take a little different approach to a sermon. This, uh, I don't quite know how it's going to go, but I'll trust that God will use it, alright? I'm going to take a little different tact here on, on how I do it, um, but I, I trust that God will use it to uh, open our eyes a little more fully to who He is and what's so great about Christmas. The sermon's called Gabriel's First Christmas, so that should be a little bit of a giveaway of where we're after. Uh, but I'm going to do this by reading three sections of Scripture, and then I'll get into the sermon. The reason I'm doing that, hopefully you'll see by the end. So, bear with it. Um, this is God's Word. It's what He's communicated to us. Every, every dot and tittle is um, extremely important to us, as we see it more clearly. So, three stories out of Luke. The first story is about a guy named Zechariah. I'll let the, the Word of God speak for itself. Luke 1 chapter Luke 1 chapter Luke 1 verse 5 In the days of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Move ahead a few verses. We come to verse 26. And we read, In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And this virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. 
and the angel departed from her. Move up to chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for they had all heard and seen it as, seen as it had been told them. Okay. Zechariah, Mary, shepherds. If you look closely, you'll know that that covers about a year and a half of time. This morning I noticed this. When was Jesus born? In the first month, Elizabeth conceived. Six months later, the angel showed up to Mary. Jesus was born approximately 40 weeks after that six months. Just a little side note. has nothing to do with anything other than general interest. Someone asked me that question a ways back of when he was really born. The reason I read you those three texts is because today I want to talk about Gabriel and Gabriel's perspective on Christmas. And I want to do this by giving you a, a, a view of what Christmas, that first Christmas, must have been like for the angel Gabriel, who was involved in all three of those events. Angels can be a little confusing, I think, to us. Some people in our society actually worship angels. There's no reason to worship an angel. In fact, that's very wrong. Other people kind of ignore the fact that angels are real. They're kind of spooky spiritual things we don't like to talk about. Here's what the Bible says about angels. Angels are created spiritual beings. They have no physical body. They move around throughout creation at God's command. And at times, God can open our eyes to see them, physically see them. Angels are intelligent. They have the ability to make moral decisions, which we know because some have chosen to sin, starting with the devil. We only know the names of two angels apart from the devil, Gabriel and Michael. Their names appear each in three sections of the Bible. Luke, Daniel, and Revelation. I'm sorry, Luke, Daniel, Revelation, and Jude. Small sections, the only place their names are given to us. But I think there's a lot to be learned from angels. And today we're going to look at an example of, of Gabriel. So imagine, if you will, you're in heaven before the very first Christmas. And you see Gabriel come into God's presence. And he falls down before God, worshiping and praising God. And God says, rise up, Gabriel. I have a message for you to deliver him. Gabriel obediently rises. And God says, it's an exciting one, Gabriel. You're ready to handle it. Of course, Gabriel says, I am. It's what he was made for. And God says, Gabriel, I'd like you to go to the temple. I have a message for you to give to Zechariah. And Gabriel thinks, I know who Zechariah is, that priest. And God says, yeah, the priest. This is a big time message, Gabriel. You ready for it? Gabriel says, of course I am. Go tell him his prayers, but answer he's going to have a baby. And Gabriel's smiling bigger now. 
oh, those prayers that he and his old wife have been making, you're actually going to give them a baby in their old age, God? And God says, I am, but wait. Not just any baby. I'm going to give them the forerunner, the promised forerunner of the Messiah. And Gabriel says, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Messiah we've been waiting for ever since the Garden of Eden, now he's coming? And God smiles back at Gabriel and says, yeah. So Gabriel runs off to the temple, to the holy place. He stands to the right of the altar of incense. And Zechariah walks in. And Gabriel likes Zechariah because he's a man who's righteous and obedient to God and serves him. And he walks in and God opens his eyes and Zechariah sees Gabriel and he falls to the floor. And Gabriel thinks, oh, here we go again. Why do people do this? Why do people fall down in fear of me and try to worship me? This has happened to him before. He's an angel. He thinks to himself every time, when people see God face to face, I can't imagine what the reaction is going to be. They're falling down before a piddly little angel like me. But he gets him up on his feet, tells him, don't freak out. I have some good news for you, Zechariah. And he is just ready to give it to him. He is ready to tell him that he's going to have a baby. And Zechariah is a priest, so he knows the Bible well. And, and when, when Gabriel tells him what happens, he's going to think of the prophecies that Gabriel himself gave to Daniel, which Zechariah knows about how things would work out, about, about how history would go through Babylon to Persia to the Greeks to the Romans, which is where we are today, all talking about the coming of the Messiah. There's no doubt Zechariah knows Malachi 3.1, where God talks about the coming of the forerunner before the Messiah. And Gabriel says, Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby in your old age to a barren postmenopausal woman. And not only that, but the baby is the forerunner to the Christ, the promised one, the one who is Elijah to come back. It's your son. And he looks at Zechariah, waiting for him to like start jumping and dancing. But Zechariah says, How? And Gabriel's smile turns into a frown. And Zechariah says, it can't happen. My wife's old. I'm old. What do you mean we're going to have a baby? Please. And Zechariah goes to a frown. Or Gabriel goes to a full frown. Because he's seen it before. He's seen people doubt. And he wonders, always has, how could people doubt God? How could people fail to believe what God tells them? God has never lied. God's never been wrong. God's never misled. And when God speaks so clearly to people, why do they wonder and doubt and deny? And a priest of all people who knows the word of God, who's been given a great yes, this should be the greatest day of his life. He will not only have a child, which is a miracle, the child will be the forerunner to the Christ. That means the Messiah is coming. And and Zechariah says, how? And because of that, Gabriel is forced to make him mute until the day that baby is born. And he leaves. And he goes back into the presence of God, and he's sad as can be. And God pats him reassuringly on the back as Gabriel says, God, how? God, why do you put up with such a stubborn people? And God says, Gabriel, I've got it in control. Don't worry about it. Step out of that story for a minute. Can I ask you a question? If you were in the temple and you were Zechariah, if you were an old man with no kid, how would you respond to Gabriel showing up, saying, I got some good news for you? Would you wonder and doubt, or would you dance and party? Let me ask you a question. If God spoke to you directly and told you some crazy stuff, what would you do with it? If God tried to speak to you, would you listen? We're not much different than Zechariah, are we? How many awesome days have we ruined by doubt and deny? 
How many of the greatest days of our life has God tried to give to us and we say, no thank you, I don't want to believe? How many crazy stinking things has he called us to that we say can't work? Sorry. And the angels in heaven have gotten sad because we haven't done what we were made for. Gabriel knew the problem with Zechariah was sin. The problem with us is sin. Sin is all-encompassing. It is a corrupting disease. And it makes us do crazy things like doubt God. When God speaks clearly to us, our, our tendency as people is to doubt and deny. That's why Christmas came. So that we could overcome the doubting and denying side and be a trusting and believing people. When we come to faith in Christ, we're dead to sin and alive in Christ. But how many days do we spend wallowing in sin, refusing to grow in our faith God's way because we don't think it's going to work well or we know better, and God wants to give us the single greatest day of our life, and we turn it down and say, no thanks, I don't believe you. Here's what I want you to get from Gabriel regarding Zechariah. We've all ruined some really good days in the past. It's a guaranteed fact. That's why Jesus came to die. But how many great days do you have from this point forward that God wants to give to you? And what are you going to do with them? Christmas is a great day. Today is a great day. Tomorrow is a great day. And the beauty is they get better and better and better if we trust. Gabriel goes back to heaven sad. If Gabriel was seeing how we were carrying ourselves day by day, would he rejoice in God's presence over the obedience of a faithful servant who trusted? Or would he be saddened over what we're losing because we fail to believe? Six months later, Gabriel gets a summons, comes before God, falls down and worships him. God says, get up, I got another message for you. What? All right, Gabriel, this is the big one. The Messiah one? Yeah, the Messiah one. Where? Nazareth. What? No. Gabriel stops himself. I don't have to see an angel. He's not corrupted with sin. Doesn't make sense to me, but I know God knows what he's doing. Nazareth? Yeah, okay. I, I know you got this one, God. I didn't think Nazareth. I would think in Rome, but we'll go Nazareth. Where? Mary. Married a teenage girl? Uh-huh. She's not married, God? And wait a minute, why are we talking about a baby here? I thought the Messiah's coming. Uh-huh. Okay. What about the baby? It's going to be mine. Your son? Yeah. You're going to take the form of a person, God? Uh-huh. And God smiles and Gabriel just kind of drops his jaw. Wait a minute. You're going to go down to earth in the form of a little baby boy and grow up and die on a cross for these people to doubt? And God smiles and says, yeah, go tell Mary she's going to be the mom. So Gabriel gets himself together. And he's busting at the seams now. I mean, he's just busting excited. And he runs down, and he shows up in Nazareth. And he says to Mary, Hey, Mary, ooh, there's that fearful response again, right? People see the angel, they freak out. It's all right, Mary. What do you want? Uh, Mary, it's pretty exciting stuff. You're going to have a baby. Doesn't sound so exciting to an uh, unwed teenager at the time. She says, How? I'm not married. He says, oh, the Holy Spirit will take care of that. And what does Mary say? No, it can't be. I'm too young. It'll ruin my life plan. We can't do this. It's not what she says. That's what Zechariah would have said if he was Mary. Mary says, I'm a servant of God. Let it be as you say. Gabriel left with a smile on his face. 
He just saw the Messiah's mom. He just saw the lady who would give birth to he who would, who would cure sin for all people. And she believed. It doesn't mean that Mary could understand it completely. It didn't mean that Mary had no fear or concern. It means that Mary knew that God who was who he said he was. She couldn't explain it, but she trusted him. It didn't make perfect sense, but she knew God would handle it perfectly. And because of that, Mary was a woman who was a model for us. Christmas is an invitation to us to be a servant of God. Mary says, I am a servant of God. Come Christmas morning, what do we say to God? I am a servant of God, or I want a servant for me. When you think of the baby who was born on Christmas morning, do you, the baby who was born not to be served, but to serve, he tells us, do you think of yourselves as, as a servant of his, or as one who wants to use him as a servant? Is it, Jesus, here's what I want, or Jesus, what do you want? Mary was all about, God, what do you want? And because she was about that, she could accept the joyful proclamation that she would be the mother of the Messiah. That's a pretty cool thing that I am sure she spent the rest of her earthly life trying to wrap her mind about. And probably today, still, in heaven, she is unable to fully grasp the awesomeness for which God used her. Could you imagine being Jesus' mom? I mean, we struggle intellectually with some of the, the attributes of God. We struggle with the fact that God is fully human and fully God. Could you imagine if he was your baby? I imagine what that must have done to Mary. To hold in her arms a tiny little newborn baby who created the universe. That would keep you up at night wondering sometimes. Imagine what it must have been like to have a sinless child. Oh. <laughs> Clean your room. Okay. Poof. No, with your hands, Jesus. Enough of this. Imagine what it must have been like when Jesus entered into adulthood. You ever try to tell your parents something and they have trouble learning from a younger person because they changed your diapers, per se? Could you imagine if your kid had everything to teach you because he made everything? Mary was a blessed woman, but she was blessed primarily because she was a servant of God who was used mightily by God. Christmas is an invitation for us to be a servant of God, and Gabriel goes back to heaven. This one went better. And then the big day came. The angels are on pins and needles. The baby in the belly got bigger and bigger and bigger. And they rode a donkey into Bethlehem. And he got really big. And then all of a sudden he was coming out. And God sends an angel down to some shepherds to announce the fact that in Bethlehem, in a manger, was born Christ. And we don't know who the angel was. Perhaps it was Gabriel. Perhaps it wasn't. But I... Pretty sure Gabriel knew what was going on. And the entire world was going on, failing to recognize the fact that the Messiah was born. You realize that? In an obscure manger in Bethlehem, the Messiah was born. And who knew? December 25th, we celebrate the birth of Christ, who grew up and died on a cross, and is in heaven today in bodily form and will come back. And on December 25th, who really notices? You ever think about that? So the baby is born, and the angels are busting at the seams, and God says, go, proclaim to them, proclaim to these shepherds what has happened. And the angel who was sent had to be thinking, shepherds? 
Do you know that shepherds are right above thieves in the societal ladder? He doesn't say this to God because he knows God knows what he's doing. And he goes down and he says to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And what do the angels do? What? At this point, Gabriel's watching. What was that? I don't know. I think I was so tired, I hallucinated for a minute. Me too, I heard a coyote howling, sounded like something about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. That's crazy talk. Must be our exhausted legs. And then it says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And the shepherds say, Yeah, seriously? We've been chasing these sheep around all day. I am beat tired. I am not huffing down that hill into Bethlehem. Plus, the people there don't like us. They're always making fun of us, calling us dirty and unclean and low lies. I don't want to be around people. Let's go back to sleep, guys. My legs are aching, and who's going to watch the sheep? Can you imagine if it's how it played out? Not much of a story there, is it? But that's not what the shepherds did. The shepherds, who were no doubt tired, who were no doubt shocked, who were no doubt confused slightly jumped up obediently and ran into Bethlehem to see what happened. And notice this. What did the heavenly host do at this point? Could you, I imagine heaven that day was like a, a, a controlled, non-sinful riot about to unfold. And the angels were just pressed up on something, begging God to let them jump into the world and be made visible and audibly heard to people so they could sing the praises of God for what had just happened in the manger. And God finally says, go. And a massive heavenly host comes out, and they start singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, because they are just floored by what happened on earth underneath them in a manger in Bethlehem. And the shepherds make a run for it. And they go into Bethlehem, and guess what they see? A baby lying before them, wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, just like God said. And Gabriel smiled, for many reasons. The obedience of the shepherds, the trust of the shepherds, the glorious work that God did for all people. And the shepherds went, and they saw, and they worshipped, and they proclaimed, and they went back praising and worshipping God. Step out of this story one more time, would you? Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace with those with whom he is pleased. Why are the angels excited about Christmas? Angels are sinless beings, right? They don't need a Messiah. They're in heaven in God's presence for all of eternity. You understand that? Jesus dying on a cross did nothing for an angel. The birth of Jesus did nothing for an angel. Angels had seen people being disobedient before God ever since Adam and Eve. And I don't mean the little white lie types. I mean the spiritually adulterous types. Bad time sin. And God, over and over and over again, forgives these people and offers them another chance. The stiff-necked, spiritually adulterous people, he offers them another chance time and time again. And here, he gets to the point where he takes on the form of a man a baby, to offer forgiveness for all people. And the angels rejoice, and i got to ask this serious question, why? Any idea? Because they were on the same page as God. That's what God wanted. Cut. They didn't yep. have our questioning 
Remember a couple weeks ago I talked about where do you find joy? The joy candle. Wow, that worked well. And I shared the story of my friend who goes out to the bars on Friday nights and how his wife has no problem with it. And I asked, would that bring you joy? And the question is, do you find joy where God finds joy or do you find joy somewhere else? The angels find joy where God finds joy. It's not a forced brainwashed joy. Oh, this is wonderful. Another day in heaven, we smile when God says smile. We frown when he says frown. Praise God. That's not what heaven's like, folks. Heaven is the greatest party you've ever been to multiplied a million times. Think of your favorite family relative, okay? The, the best relative you've ever had. You know when they would come to visit or they come and visit, how excited you get to see them? Heaven is going to be every person you meet Every moment of every day is going to be better than your favorite relative coming over when they come. And then we get to be with God forever. And we get to have sin removed. And we get to know what true joy and true peace and all of that great stuff really is. And we'll see angels rejoice when God rejoices because that's what they were made for. Just like it's what we were made for. And here's the question where this leads into. If Gabriel and the angels rejoiced so crazily over the Messiah coming for us... Why don't we rejoice even more so? You understand that? They're rejoicing because it brings joy to God, and we should rejoice too because it brings joy to God, but you understand what Christmas is all about. It's God saying, here you go. Here's, here's for your sin. And we kind of ho-hum it. How do, we, how do we let angels, who Jesus doesn't impact their standing with God, rejoice more vociferously than people like us, who have a 180 degree change in standing with God because of a baby who was born. I think the reason is, I don't think I know the reason is, at least for me, because we don't fully understand what Christmas is all about. We got it up here, but we got to get it down here. Next week, I'm going to talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul talks about the inexpressible gift. And the more we understand how inexpressible the gift of Christ really is, the more we will be able to celebrate it properly. So Gabriel had his first Christmas about 2,000 years ago. And what has happened, if I can speculate, there's nothing heretical about this, is that each day and each year, Christmas got a little better for Gabriel. Each day and each year, he saw God's plan unfold a little more perfectly before his eyes, and he rejoiced over it. Each day and each year, he waited more, more anxiously for Jesus to come back. And each day and each year, he was used mightily by God in a variety of ways, most of which aren't recorded here in the Bible. But Gabriel wasn't put on, on the injured reserve list of heaven. He's not sitting in a trainer's room being patched up because he heard a wing flying down to talk to the shepherds. Gabriel has a front row seat watching God's plan unfold. And guess what we have too? A front row seat for watching God's plan unfold. So, when was your favorite Christmas? Was it when you were five and it was so much fun? It was a carefree Christmas? Was it maybe when you were 25 or 35? When was it? We all have a couple favorite Christmases we can remember. Can I, can I propose this? <coughs> that if we live lives differently than Zechariah in the temple... If we live lives similar to Mary in Nazareth, if we live lives very closely to the way that the shepherds responded 
to the angels who proclaimed to them that this will be the best Christmas you've ever had. And then next year, that'll become the best Christmas you ever had. And the day after Christmas will be the greatest day of your life. And little by little, we will see why angels would rejoice perpetually and consistently. We would get a different perspective because I think sometimes we think of heaven and having to praise God and rejoice all day long is a little bit draining. Don't you get some downtime? Like, can't you pull up a hammock under a tree in some cool oasis in heaven and just be quiet? Like, do you always have to sing praises to God? <clears throat> what if your throat starts aching a little bit? You know, what if you just want to sit down and have some peace and quiet? Here's what you don't understand. When we live the way we're made, there's nothing we want to do but praise God. Think about what you love the best to do in the world. It pales in comparison to praising God, but, but we live in the muck and the mire of this world. And we think there's some awesome stuff besides praising God. And there is some awesome stuff. And next week I have a great illustration for you about a dairy farm. And I'm not ruining it by using it this week. We're going to save it up. But this world is a little bit tainted. And because of sin, we see things, oh, a little bit off. And as sin is removed which happens in this life as we trust in Christ and our heart is renewed and the old self is taken off and the new self is put on. That's a repetitive, continual action from Colossians. We have a different perspective. And we begin to receive joy from what God receives joy. And we begin to be used how God wants us to be used. And we begin to see what's so wonderful about living a life as a servant to Christ. Because in sin, we don't want to be anybody's servant. We want servants for us. But then we understand what God really made us for. And God brings us back to our position that we were rightfully made for through the work of Christ. And God has some awesome days ahead of us. So here's what I want you to think about as we go into Christmas this week. Christmas, from Gabriel's perspective, is about remembering not to doubt. Because when we doubt, we ruin some pretty awesome days. Christmas is remembering that we don't need to explain. We can trust and we can rejoice. You don't have to worry about how you're getting there. God's going to get you there. You don't have to worry about if you're going to have the victory, God gave you the victory. You can just trust and rejoice. Even through the difficult times, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember that Psalm 23? I will fear no evil. This life, we often are walking through that proverbial valley of the shadow of death. And guess what? While the world around us can put on a pretty smile and underneath be shaken in their boots... We can be rejoicing because we know where we're going. We know who's got us. We know who makes us lie down. We know who provides the food and the water, right? Christmas is also about going and telling and glorifying and praising. And we struggle with telling people about Jesus. And we struggle with waking up each day praising God. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and give thanks in it. But we often wake up and say, yeah, this is the day the Lord has made, but it's cold and cloudy and I'm aching today. And even despite the aching and the cloudiness and the cold and the miserable circumstances that go on around us, we can rejoice and give thanks in it. You know why? Because God has got it. God's got a perfect plan in it. Think about that first Christmas. That psalm was written before that first Christmas. I imagine some little guy, uh, Chaim ben Shalom, sitting in Jerusalem and wakes up. He's 97 years old and his bones are aching. Ah, honey, honey! Huh? Bring me the coffee mug with the with the psalm one eighteen on it. I need it. So she brings him the coffee mug, and Chaim says, "Ah, oh, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I don't know how." 
And that very day, a little baby is crying in a manger in Bethlehem. And God knows what there is to rejoice about on that day. You see, the world doesn't center around us. The world centers around God. And when we wake up on a day when we're aching or a day when bad stuff, God mourns with us. But God rejoices because he sees the whole story. And when we have loss or we have gain, when we have sadness or we have joy, God has a perfect plan in store. And Chaim had a wonderful opportunity to be thankful, not because he knew exactly what happened, but because he knew that God had it in control. What about your life? Do you really know that God has it in control? Do you really understand Christmas is all about the fact that God loves us and God has it in control? So, I conclude with this. This is the main point I want you to get. Actually, I conclude with these two points. The more we understand that, the more unable we will be to not go out and praise God and tell people about God. The shepherds saw the baby in the manger. They had the angels reveal it to them. They knew it was Christ. Folks, this is just as easy to believe or just as easy to doubt, depending on if you want to let the Holy Spirit drive you or sin drive you, as it is to believe or doubt what Zechariah heard from an angel, what Mary heard from an angel, and what the shepherds heard. When we believe and go and see and trust you are not going to be able to help but tell people about what went down with God. And as we do that, we will more fully understand what Gabriel was so fired up about on Christmas morning, what he was so fired up about when Mary got pregnant, what he was so fired up about when Elizabeth got pregnant. Because he had a good perspective based on trusting God. My hope and prayer as we go through this week, as we enter into Christmas on Saturday is that God does a work in us, God does a work through us, and gets us fired up about Christmas morning because of what He has done, what He is doing, and what He will do in and through us because of the Son He set for us. Let's pray. Father God, I, just, I pray that You would give us clarity. I pray You would give us perspective. I pray You would remove the junk that we let, let sit before our eyes and give us you instead. I pray that you would uh, allow us to enjoy the things that we have in the way you desire for us to. I pray that the things would only enhance our worship of you and our love for you and our understanding of you. God, make this Christmas our best one. Make this our clearest Christmas. Make this a Christmas we don't rejoice in because of the circumstances around us, but because of the, the setting we find ourselves in as children who are mightily loved by you and forgiven through Christ are offered forgiveness through Christ. God, help us understand more fully what Christmas is all about so we could have a party like we've never had before. Help this be a birthday party we've never seen the likes of and a birthday party that gets better day by day. And God, we look forward to the day when we meet Jesus face to face. I always look at those passages in the Bible of people falling before angels out of fear and trying to worship them. And I speculate I'd probably do the same thing too. But I realize that when we meet Jesus face to face, we're going to have an oh my moment. God, when we get to that oh my moment, I want to look back with no regrets. I want to be a people who are empowered by you, who trusted you, who were used by you, so that we're not ashamed to look back at our past, but we rejoice in what God has done for us. I pray that we don't look back and see days of regret and sadness and miss, but we look back and we see a growth through your strength and power where we were used mightily, where we did amazing things. God, you have not ceased to do miracles today. 
We know that it's basically because people keep coming to faith. But God, I think sometimes we stand in the way of you doing miracles through us because we don't want to trust. We want to let the world set our expectations. We want the standards that we have to be set by those around us. And I pray that we would stop that and we would trust in you completely and be the thermostats, not the thermometers. Be the people who hold on to the foundation and the anchor that you are and not be swayed by those around, but allow you to sway others through us. God, as we go through this week, please work mightily in our hearts. Please prepare us to rejoice and to celebrate the birth of your Son. And God, we just praise you and thank you for the fact that you sent Jesus from heaven to be born in a manger in the city of Bethlehem, to grow up into a man who lived a perfect life, who died on a cross for us. And God, that makes no sense. It makes no sense why you would love us so much or why you would do that. But I thank you that it makes no sense because your plans are perfect. And we just thank you and we praise you for it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Amen.